Hello, and welcome to the Bookish Banter Podcast, where we'll be sharing our opinions about our favorite books, authors, and bookish impulse buys. Follow along on our journey to finishing and sharing our endless TBR. Go ahead and subscribe, leave us a review, and follow us on our Instagram and TikTok at the Bookish Banter Podcast. Let's get started. I think it's fair to say you guys know I love coffee. I cannot get through the day without it. And somehow I've become the person who exclusively drinks Fable Grounds coffee. Every time I go on vacation, I think I should seriously bring some with me because nothing tastes like it. It's roasted in small batches in Maryland and it's every book lover's dream. Fable Grounds has fandoms like Lord of the Rings, Six of Crows, and even some of our favorite Greek gods. There is surely a coffee flavor for you. The bag sizes range from two ounces all the way up to 12, so you can try a few different flavors before you find your perfect one. She also has gorgeous stoneware mugs that I use quite literally every single day. There is nothing like drinking coffee out of a stoneware mug. It is an experience, I'll say that. So check out Fable Grounds Coffee and use my code LLAMA10 to save on your next purchase. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? Good. I'm so excited to have you on the show. We have a new special guest. If you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and say hello. My name is Starzy Davies, and I am an author of dystopian and fantasy novels. I love that. I love it. I'm obsessed with your series. Like, this is perfect. I (laughs) Urban Fantasy is like hands down my favorite. And like the dystopian twist is like everything. Okay. So we have four token questions that we start every episode with. So we'll start with those. And my first question is, what is your favorite standalone? So I actually, I have a really hard time answering that because I don't read a whole lot of standalone books. I'm a, I'm a theories monger. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But I think the one that really stands out to me, I might get the name of it wrong. It's been years since I read this book, but it's called the, the mystery of the dog at midnight. Okay. Which is way out of the wheelhouse of what I usually read, but it was a really interesting book. And it's written from the point of view of an autistic mm-hmm. male. Okay. And so each chapter, the, the chapter numbers are prime numbers. Oh, I like and that. <laughs> it includes some of his mind wanderings throughout the course of the story. So the whole thing is this dog died mm-hmm. in the middle of the night. And he's trying to solve the mystery of what happened to this dog when it died. Like, why did the dog die? And, but... I don't know. It was a really great book. Um, And there's like little drawings where he's laying in the grass thinking about the mystery, but then he gets distracted by the clouds overhead. And one of them was shaped like a dinosaur and it looked kind of like this. And there's like a little hand drawn picture of a dinosaur. And it was a really entertaining book. So I guess that would probably be my favorite standalone since that's the only one that really stuck with me. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like if you are like into fantasy or like space odyssey that kind of thing it's really hard like I I feel like the one that's got a lot of standalones is thrillers so if you read a lot of thrillers it's easier and like maybe some romance because a lot of romance I feel like nowadays like interconnected standalones but yeah I think it's hard to like find a specific standalone so that sounds so interesting I like that I love when there's like quirky little things too like drawings or like side notes and stuff I think that really makes the book yeah yeah okay second question what is your favorite series So my favorite series has to be The Wheel of Time. My husband introduced it to me when we first started dating. And I think that it was published up to book eight or nine at that point. And I don't know how much you know about the series or if you've read it yourself, but it's it's a 14 book series. It's huge. And, you know, there's a TV show now. TV show is entertaining. Yeah, I I blew through those books. 
And there were a few of them that I probably could have done without. But overall, that's definitely my favorite series. It's a good one to be your favorite because it feels like it's going to never end. <laughs> right, which is what I love, right? I love yeah. it. At, at some point, it stops for for me as a reader, it stopped being about the story mm-hmm. and it started being about just sitting down and hanging out with my friends, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. Just connect with these characters. So yeah, I, I agree. Okay. Yeah, that's perfect. I actually, I haven't read Wheel of Time and I haven't seen the show yet because I heard the show is like a little different than the book. And I feel like, I don't think it would be confusing necessarily, but it's like, I'd almost like to have that baseline. And then I always, I always like to read the book first because yeah. you know the book's better. So, the big thing with the Wheel of Time is like the entire concept is that that time repeats itself. It's mm-hmm. just another turning of the wheel. And so as we're watching it, that's you know, we'll get to the end of the episode and my husband and I'll look at each other and he's like, you know, it's just another turning of the wheel. Right. Yeah. So so he's accepting of the fact that it's the same story, but it's also a different story because it's a different turning of the wheel of time. Right. Okay. That that's fair. Yeah. I I kind of want to like know the like the world building before I get into the show. That way I'm like a little less confused. Oh, well, there's a ton of world building. Yeah, books, so. <laughs> that's what I hear. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I love that. This might That might be on my list for like next year. <laughs> okay, next question is, who is your ultimate book boyfriend? Like your favorite male character? So is it bad if I say one of my own? No, you <laughs> created them. So that's the point. <laughs> but this one, I actually didn't. I mean, I guess I, I kind of did, but I didn't create the person himself. Okay. So it would be Una Bolad from mm-hmm. my Mongolian historical fantasy series. Mm-hmm. My heart just breaks for him. Like all yeah. of the time he tries so hard. He has this very rigid code of honor. And throughout the course of the series, he repeats the same thing over and over again that his family taught him that your word is iron. Once you give somebody your word, that's it. It's set. And so, but he keeps coming up against these things that are challenging this, right? So he has to to overcome it. And of course, he ends up falling in love with the great Khan's second wife, and which creates other conflicts because the great Khan is like a brother to him. And so my heart just breaks for him and I love him and everything that he does for the con, despite how he feels and for her, despite what he knows he can and can't have and can and can't do. You just, I just love him so much and he's based on a real person. So I obviously it's fiction. So I embellished where I needed to, but yeah. <laughs> the basic, his basic story is the same. I love that. It's kind of fun though, to be able to like take these historical figures and like configure them to what, what we don't know about the the little dramas in their life and how we would see it. So I like that a right. lot. Yeah. It's hard to, yeah. It's hard when a character goes through a lot too. Cause you're like, well, maybe not for you because you have a very notorious <laughs> nickname so I don't know but I yeah it's I very, still get uh, attached to these people okay yeah. it's still heartbreaking <laughs> for me when they die <laughs> that's fair okay um but yeah no I think it's really hard when like the characters go through a lot especially as you have to write it because you're like this is the way the story one because he's real but like as the story goes on you're like I have to write this because this is the way it's gonna go and it's yeah you're right it's still very very hard the hardest part for me with him was was knowing I knew his entire story right so you know with some of my other books I've I've it's complete fiction so I can Mm -hmm. you know 
bend and twist things as I need to. But knowing from the very beginning how his story ended yeah, made it so hard to write because I knew the heartbreak that was coming. And it just, yeah, it, it made it really hard. And I actually, one of my girlfriends, when she was reading the books, she sent me a text message and was like, I hate you. She's like, I love him so much and I hate you. And I was like, I wish I could change history, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> Fortunately you can't, but I mean, right. you, you did write a fantasy, so you, you might be able to, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's totally fair. I get that. Okay. So next question is who's is your ultimate book girlfriend? This one is a lot harder. It's because I, I don't tend to relate to the girls in stories as well as I do to the guys. So a close second for me would probably be Nova from the Renegade series. I love her. I love the darkness that's in her and the way that she finds the light, right? And so her story and the way that she loves people, whether they're good or bad, it's, it's beautiful. So she's probably a very close second for me. But again, I have to go back to the (laughs) Fractured Empire books and it's actually not the main character, um, though I do love her. But there's this this girl that she adopts at a young age. Her name is Esige. And she is just spit in vinegar and life. And when all of the men try to hold her down, she is just kicking and screaming and fighting back. And she ends up becoming a very powerful figure in the series um, by the time she she grows up and matures and I love her. So those two probably they're very, very close. I love that. I like when you have a character who goes a little bit against the grain and is like very mean. Cause that's me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very mean. So I love that. That's awesome. Okay. Perfect. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started in your writing journey and what made you kind of decide to become an author? So I think that I've always been a writer. I wrote my first story when I was in fourth grade, I want to say. And it was called Mariah in the Haunted House. And I even like drew the pictures for it. It was just this little storybook that I did. I have no idea what happened to it. I don't know if my mom has it stored away in a box somewhere in their house or what, but that was the first book that I ever wrote. And it was a horror story, obviously, which is great for a fourth grader. Maybe that's why my mom hid it. Um, (laughs) And then when I was in high school, I used to walk around with different notebooks in my backpack. And during class, I would pull the notebook out and start writing. Each one was a different story. I would write in the middle of class, which is probably why I didn't get the grades I could have gotten. But (laughs) and then I think after my husband and I got together and he was like, why don't you just try doing it like like for real? And so I wrote a book that I thought was really good. And then I went back and looked at it and I was like, this is really not good. And it took me a few years to get back to it before I decided to start writing Ordinary, which was my first book. And that one took me years to get through and several heavy rewrites before the final product finally was released. Yeah, I feel like everybody always says, you know, like I started writing when I was in like the third grade or fourth grade. And I'm like forever impressed by you guys who like had that in you way back in the day and have like come full circle and made this like, you know, a full time thing or 
you know, have been able to publish. Like, I think that's so cool. And it's crazy to me because I, I was doing none of that when I was a child. And it's, I'm very impressed by you guys. <laughs> Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I love that. Yeah. How was that process for you, you know, kind of writing your first book, going through all of that? Like you said, you did some heavy like uh, re-edits and all that kind of stuff. What was that like for you versus now, um, you know, as you come out with all these different series, do you feel like you're more in the groove and all of that kind of stuff? I've, I think I feel like I've definitely found a rhythm that works for me, which, you know, every author is different. Everybody has to figure out what that rhythm is for themselves because it's no two people do the same thing. So that first book, it started with an idea. My husband and my stepson and I were sitting around and playing a what if game. And so we would like have these random what if statements, like, like, and in this case, it was what if there was a world where everyone had a superpower, except for this one kid. And the only job that he could get was delivering flowers on a bicycle. And obviously the actual story, um, did not end up quite the same. He's yeah. still, it's still based in the same kind of world, but mm -hmm. his story is very different. Yeah. And when I was in undergrad, we had to like write the first half of a book. Like that was our project for one of my courses is mm -hmm. we had to write the first half of a novel. And I was like, I have no idea what to write. Like I had like 10,000 ideas in my head, but none yeah. of them felt right to me. And then I came back to that. What if? And I was like, hmm, what can I do with that? And I was like, well, let's just have fun with it and see what happens. And yeah. so I actually started writing it as that project and I ended up finishing it. And I joined a writing group when, where I lived at the time. And we kind of all did critiquing of each other's work. And every week we would get together and we would talk about each of the pieces. It was a, it was a small group and they picked that thing up part oh, like and no. <laughs> in, in very nice ways right yeah. so the, the criticism was constructive it was extremely helpful to me and but they they did they picked it apart and I was like okay back to the drawing board and so mm -hmm. I ended up rewriting almost the entire book so there are a few scenes that are in that first book that were still in the original draft yeah that you know stuff that still got pulled over but for the most part, I ended up rewriting almost the entire book. And, and then I put that back through the group again. And I was like, all right, well, what do you think about this? And they were much more receptive to that version of the book. And they're like, this is so much better. And they were like asking me all of these engaging questions mm -hmm. at that point. And I was like, all right, I think I've hit it this time. And yeah. so, you know, just a couple more small rounds of rewrites. And, and I was like, I'm, I'm ready to share this with the world now. Let's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, what a process. It's cool to kind of have those people too that can like give you that critical feedback and like understand what you're going through and, you know, yeah. be sort of a, a sounding board for you to jump ideas off of too. I like yeah. that. I think that makes a big difference too, especially when you're first starting out. Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell us about all your different series like spoiler-free overview um, and like your most recent one? So the power series is the first one, which is, um, it starts with Ordinary. There's three books, but the third book in the series is actually from a different character's point of view. So it's like a dual timeline. Um, so there are a few scenes that kind of overlap, but they're all from a very different perspective. So you get a very different view on what's happening. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, the book is different. But the premise of the story is that, as I mentioned, you know, there's this, this guy, Eugene, who has 
no superpowers and he lives in a, a city that's supposed to be the last city in the known world and everybody there has superpowers like that's how they survived when the apocalypse came they all came together and their powers by working as a community are what helped them build this city over time and so there's no place in this society for him because everything that everybody does is based on what their abilities are and he has none and so when everybody else starts developing he starts doing his own experiments on himself and doing his own research to try to figure out what is wrong with him and how he can tap into this power that's not manifesting and he never finds anything and but he becomes very good at the science of it mm-hmm. and so after he graduates everybody else is going off into these jobs and he has no job prospects he has nothing and So he ends up turning to this huge research company that's supposed to be like this bastion of hope for the city because of everything that they can do for for the the people. And he goes to them because they basically want to help him figure out why he's different. And which is the only thing that he has wanted since everybody else started manifesting their powers and he's never did. So he goes to them and he agrees to live in the facility but while he's there he starts to uncover things from other test subjects that are there because he's not the only person that's there and he starts putting the pieces together himself on what these people are really doing and he realizes that they have no interest in helping him figure out what's wrong with him and he is there for a specific purpose And once he realizes what that purpose is, he knows that he's got to go. He's got to get out of this place, but there's no way to escape. So it kind of like kicks off this whole chain of events that ends up tumbling into a revolution. And he ends up becoming this huge heralded hero by the end of everything, which to him feels weird. He's like, I'm just a kid who wanted to know why I was different. And so that's like his story. And the Powers Legacy series is actually a follow-up to that. So it's his kids, when his kids are all, you know, grown up now. And he, throughout the course of his series, he learned something about himself. He, he never develops a power. That's not his thing. But he finds out why it's impossible for him. And that it could end up affecting his children. And so I started asking myself, what would happen with his children then? And so I started writing this and I kind of had a rough idea of where it was going to go when I started writing the Powers Legacy series, Mm -hmm. but I didn't realize the extent to which it was going to go. So it follows Paige and Gavin, who are Eugene's kids, and they live, like I mentioned, Elpis is kind of like this, this last bastion city, nobody else exists in the known world as far as they know when the apocalypse came it wiped everything out and they gavin is brilliant like he's the smartest person in the city and he is working at this science and technology department and he ends up intercepting a signal from somewhere beyond their range and he's like we got to figure out what this is and one of his coworkers is like, it's nothing. It's probably something old that's just been looping. And he's like, no, 
if it was old and looping, there would be a repeating pattern. And so he starts explaining why it doesn't make sense. And his dad is the minister of the city now. Like he's, he's in charge of everything. And he agrees that they've got to figure out what this is because he always thought it'd be a huge waste of space if there was nobody else out there. Yeah. <laughs> so they put together this group and Gavin and Paige end up becoming part of this group that they send out to investigate the signal and find out if there actually is life out there, if the world is becoming sustainable again. And of course, Gavin and Paige end up finding out that they are definitely not alone. And there's several different communities that live out there and each of them kind of live by their own rules because after everything happened, they built their own societies. Mm -hmm. And it's all very different from what Gavin and Paige know. And they end up getting separated from each other in the first book. So it's not like it's a huge spoiler. And part of their story is them trying to figure out how to escape their situation and find their way back to each other so they can get home. And it becomes huge. Yeah. It becomes a very big thing. I love that. And then you have one more series, right? Oh, fantasy series the the uh historical fantasy so that one I actually started writing because when I was an undergrad I was in a history class and we had to do this big research paper that could be on anything that was not like western culture within a certain period of time and I came across this book called the secret history of the mongol queens and the entire second half of the book was about this one woman and as I was reading it, I was like, this woman was amazing. How have I never heard of her before? And so when I wrote my paper, I took it into one of the professors to have her kind of read over it and let me know what she thought. Um, And she read it and she was like, is this real? Because this reads like a movie. And I was like, I thought the same thing. This woman's (laughs) life was incredible. And I kind of knew at that moment that one day I would have to tell it. Mm -hmm. And so it's her story. Her name was Mandukai and she, she was born about 200 years after Genghis Khan. So it's, it's in the future for them, but still way in the past for us. It was like 14. Oh, I'm going to forget the year now. (laughs) You're on the spot. It was like 1460, something like that, that she ended up becoming married to the great Khan and she was born from a noble's, you know, from a nobleman, and he died in a rebellion. And her mother basically ended up selling her off into this marriage to help keep peace for their tribe so that their tribe wouldn't get wiped out by the Great Khan's armies. Okay. And so she was the bargaining chip. So she has no choice because she knows that if she leaves, if she refuses, it's war. And so she's forced into this marriage. She she never loves him, um, which is a historical thing that that they the two of them kind of grew in respect for each other, but that she was in love with his general and his sworn brother, and he never knew. But apparently throughout like all of the historical records, there's there are hints that the two of them have this sordid affair. And so it's kind of, it's their love story, but it's also her survival story. Mm-hmm. And 
the story of how she rebuilt the empire. The empire had fallen apart between the Chinese people that had come in and basically tore everything to pieces and tried to to dominate them again. And the Middle Eastern people who had come in and kind of taken over other parts of their territory, everything had fallen apart. So she ends up rising into power, puts everything back together again, and she chases all of these people out of their territory. She reunites the Mongol people and she reestablishes the line of Genghis Khan. And so her, her story is... It's amazing. Like this woman was six months pregnant with twins and rode into battle on horseback. And yeah, she just, she's an amazing woman. That's awesome. Oh, that's so fun. I love that. So what kind of drew you, I know we talked about, you know, your what if questions with your um, husband and your stepson, but what drew you to dystopian and fantasy as a genre in the first place? I think that I've always liked fantasy. Like, like I've all the way back to, you know, the, Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, and to Wrinkle in Time, and I've always been fascinated with fantasy. I don't even remember when I read those. I just remember I was young. <laughs> and then my husband kind of reignited that flame for me when he introduced me to the Wheel of Time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then Brandon Sanderson was announced to take over because Robert Jordan had died before he finished writing the, the series. And they had all of his notes because they knew that he was dying. So they had everything they needed to finish it. They just needed someone to write it. Yeah. And so they ended up hiring Brandon Sanderson, who was still very new to the scene at the time. And I was like, who's this guy? Like, why does he qualify for this? Yeah. And and I ended up digging into his books and I was like, oh, I get it. I get why he qualifies. I got it. (laughs) And so then I became a huge Brandon Sanderson fan also. As far as dystopian goes, I don't really know. I don't think I have a good explanation for for why I yeah. ended up writing so much of it. Because, you know, I've got 11 books and out of those 11, seven of them are dystopian novels. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> There's obviously something there. I'm not really sure what it is that drew me in. It, I could probably point at the Hunger Games is, is a point yeah. of origin for me, but I'm not positive that that's what it was I think that it just felt right for that story that I wanted to tell yeah I think it's kind of fun to play with the idea of like all of these places that we live in now what would happen if you know xyz and then getting to say fun things like this isn't a huge spoiler but like you know when they get to the arch in St. Louis or something and it's being like oh I wonder what that was back then and and all those sorts of things and like getting to kind of play with these like historic and you know iconic parts of the U.S. and then being like oh what would it be like if this was destroyed or like half built and what would that look like and stuff so yeah in that book in that book the first book I think that Drake mentions to Gavin that they you know usually they pass through this other place but this time when they passed through they couldn't find what they needed so they moved further down river so there's little hints that I drop that he's actually talking about Minneapolis Mm -hmm. in another book he makes a reference to the Mall of America but it's extremely vague. He yeah. just talks about like this gigantic shopping complex and and it's not very far from where they have their home. And, yeah. and so 
it was fun, like me trying to imagine like what would Kansas City look like. Yeah. <laughs> and and my daughter, so the whole thing with the the Arrowhead Stadium, my daughter is a big fan of the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay. So we kind of are by default as well because she is she kind of got us into the Chiefs. Yeah. And it was like right when they started rising into dominance, and we're like, yeah, we got on it before the bandwagon became the bandwagon. Right. But anyway. <laughs> So I was like, all right, so they're going to have to get into Arrowhead Stadium somehow. Mm. And that's going to be like my little nod for my daughter. Yeah. So that when she reads the book, she can be like, oh, you know, that's so funny. I think that it's really cool. And I was like, but what would it look like? And so I actually had to do research on the the type of grass that they use in the field mm-hmm. to figure out what would happen if that grass was not maintained yeah. for so long. Like, like, how would it grow? how well would it grow? How tall could it grow? Because Mm -hmm. different types of grass do different things. And so I had to try to figure out what it might look like. And that was a lot of fun for me too. Yeah, I bet. I feel like that would, that would be what would um, draw me to dystopian was like playing with, you know, kind of iconic parts of the U S or like whatever country you're in and And seeing how they would look like. The the palace Mm -hmm. that, that, Zephyr and and Cypress and all of them live in is actually the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island. Ah, okay. And so I on their website you can actually do like like walk through virtual tours from room mm-hmm. to room. And so I use that a lot when I was <laughs> writing. And I was like, okay, wait. So they're going down this hallway now. What does this hallway look like? Wait, I forgot what's down this hallway. And so I'm like clicking the button to like walk down the hallway and scanning the room. Right. Like, oh yeah, I forgot that was over there. <laughs> I love that it gives you a good setting like you, then you're like well established and and if people ask that's what it is <laughs> and it's a huge palace like building already. yeah so oh gosh, it, it, it just seemed perfect and uh, you know they're on an island so it's defensible mm-hmm. and there is actually a fort there that you know right now it's a tourist attraction yeah but if the apocalypse happened and they had to build up an army well, you probably got a fort there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it just made sense. No, I love that. That's awesome. So, what made you decide to independently publish your books versus, you know, going through the querying process with the traditional publisher? I actually did try with Ordinary. I knew that I had a good book, mm-hmm. uh, and I knew that there was a market for it, and I knew that it was also kind of unique. And I had a few agents that had asked to see more. But then I never heard from anybody. And I was like, you know what? I wait for no man. That's right. <laughs> I was like, let's just just do this. And my husband's like, that's a very bold move. And I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And so I did. And and it's still like that book is still my best selling out of all of them. That one is almost four years old now. Mm-hmm. And it's still my best seller out of everything. So, I mean, I knew I had something. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I think there's there's such a growth too within the indie author circuit. And I say this as like, you know, I think COVID made a huge difference between people deciding to do it themselves or becoming an author in general. And I feel like there's such a rise with social media and like the bookish interwebs and the support yeah. from that, that makes being an indie author really cool because you get to do everything you want. You get to decide on your covers. I know there's a lot of like upfront costs and stress and things like that kind of involved in it. But at the same time, it's like, it's so cool to be able to say like, I was involved in every little piece of it. And like, I don't know. I think for me, it's like, I love 
you know, chatting with indie authors. Cause I'm like, you guys are so impressive. Like you do so much yourselves and it's really cool to see you guys go through the whole process of like, you know, start to finish and getting to kind of make all those, those decisions and like do it the way you want it. So I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like having control over the covers. Yeah. And, it, and so I sent, I sent some extensive notes for, mm-hmm. for every book, right? Like I had all of these extensive notes and and the designers always came back with something fabulous. And I was like, okay, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, no, I love your covers. I think they're so fun. They're very like nostalgic and also like very epic. And it gives like everything fantasy. I feel like lately we've been getting a lot of ones that don't have like, you know, people on the cover. They're just kind of like nondescript. And I'm like, I want one that like tells me what it's going to be about. <laughs> like without even having to read the back. <laughs> the hard part about having people on the cover is that I'm never fully satisfied with the way that they look Mm -hmm. Um, because they like, even the ones that I ended up saying, all right, fine. That's, that's good. They still don't quite fit my head cannon for them. Like, you know, Paige's father is he's from African-American descent, right? Mm -hmm. Her mom's not, her mom is a very, you know, pale skinned, pasty white girl, but I had expected her skin tone to be you know a little darker maybe a little richer yeah considering what she comes from but it's really hard to find diverse characters to use Mm -hmm. for book covers and I feel like that's kind of a pitfall like like there's a gap there that I think needs to be filled yeah absolutely I feel like it's really hard to kind of find exactly what you're looking for too especially if you're you know, if your characters are diverse and have that in there. So I totally understand, but I, I love that you did have people on the cover. Cause I feel like that helps give you a visual. If you're like, okay, what does this person look like? Or, you know, who are these characters again? And kind of having that reference to go back to. I share a lot of character art yeah. with, with people who follow me on social media too. And so they can kind of get a feel for what I picture a little bit more for them yeah. to look like. No, I love that. I love it. Where did you get your inspiration to create the Power series and the Powers Legacy? Like, where did you kind of get that inspiration for the world building? So I had the very basics, right? The Like I mentioned before, that that kind of what if scenario. Mm-hmm. That, and so I knew that it was going to be a world where everybody had superpowers. But anyway, so I, I kind of started with that. And but I wanted it to be contained. And so I was like, well, there has to be a reason for it to be contained then, right? I can't just contain it to this one place and not have some bigger worldly implications for people having superpowers like this. And so I was like, there's got to be a reason that that they are here and that's it. And so I started playing with some different ideas and I was like, oh, I get it. So there was a super way back when people first started developing superpowers whose name was Atmos and he basically could control the atmosphere and he was in this big traumatic life-changing event and it kind of set him off the rails and he went a little bit crazy and So as people with superpowers were basically fighting for their lives because people without powers were scared and trying to kill them off, kind of like um, Professor Xavier and and Magneto's worst nightmare, right? So 
this event actually happens in their world and then Atmos ends up losing control of his powers like he just he finally loses it and he triggers the atmosphere in a way that ends up setting off all of the nuclear reactors around the world and it ends up wiping everything out and only the people with superpowers were able to survive and not even all of them and it was because of their powers that they were able to survive and so I kind of built up this backstory that's kind of hinted at and discussed vaguely in the original series. And so that's why Elpis is all that remains, because people kind of started filtering all into this one place. The people who had survived, they either made it there or they died. And so this city established itself based on magical cooperation. And everybody had a place that was based on their powers and what they could provide for society and the, the level to which they could provide it. So people who had stronger powers could produce more, right? They could do more for society versus people who had weaker powers. And uh, there ends up being a tax on that. So based on how much you can and can't do, and there's a huge disparity in it, which becomes a big deal in the first series. But then I, I asked myself, well, what if they aren't? all that's left right like there's no way that they could have known for sure that there was no one else out there they just assumed that since people stopped coming that was it yeah and so they kind of just closed off their borders and isolated themselves to protect themselves but then in the next series they're like no something else is out there and so they kind of just went out to explore and I had a lot of fun trying to do the world building for that because mm -hmm. I asked myself a bunch more of those what if questions like like what if they encountered another group that didn't have their kind of technology that they had never figured out how to develop in the same way and that this one person who had the most power established himself as a king and forced everybody to pay him a tax based on you know their own powers and in their society not everybody that lives there has powers and it's actually a coveted thing that he mm -hmm. sends his military out to find you know boys who can use power and girls who can use power to bring them back to the island and basically make them work for him and in Paige's case make her compete for the new king's hand in marriage which she has no interest in whatsoever because she's like i just want to go home yeah um, i don't know you people i don't, I don't like even you go people. here i'm out of here right like that's her entire her entire thing throughout the entire series is like screw all of you but she kind of ends up coming around not so much that she changes her mind about wanting to marry the king but that she she opens herself up to learning about them because she's yeah. like well okay if I do get home what can I tell them about what I learned during this and so she she opens herself up to it and ends up opening herself up to them and realizing okay they're not as bad as I thought that they were not right. all of them anyway yeah definitely I love that I feel like it's really cool to be able to kind of create the system. And then, like you said, keep asking yourself this what ifs. And I love yeah. the idea of like 
starting with one character and then doing, you know, what would happen if they had children, like very much the Cassandra Clare vibe of, you know, the, um, the Clockwork Princess and all that series, and then going into the Chain of Gold and all that. So I really like that. And I love when you kind of get these characters that you maybe sort of know, but then they get their own like full-fledged novel and you're like, okay, I love, I love the continuation here. And then kind of getting to see the parents being like, you know, the background, like wallflowers. And I think that's so fun. And it's cool to, to watch that transition too. So I loved that. Yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I bet. Cause you're like, okay, this person had to be really, really important. And then the second one, you're like, well, well, <laughs> you're just dad. <laughs> yeah. Which he's still really, really important, but yeah. he, is, he is just dad. And so, you know, so all these and, characters here are like, okay, whatever, dad, whatever you say. <laughs> right. And like Paige just had so much to him. that She's just like, whatever, here comes yeah. another lecture. Oh, whatever. Dad is going to try to one up me again. Right. Like, right. So and you're like, little do you know, he's very, yeah. very important. <laughs> right. Well, a lot does she know, but <laughs> you know what dad's been through, right? He, right. He, right. Not exactly hidden his past and, yeah. and <laughs> she's literally learned about it at school like yeah. that's that's how important her dad became right that he became part of their history lessons yeah so, <laughs> and she's like oh just dad just whatever so, dad gosh. definitely wanted to explore the the I, I knew when I was writing the second one that they had to leave right yeah so I that was why I I took them to other places and started asking those what ifs because I didn't want to write a story that took place in the same place. I didn't want it to feel like it was a copycat of mm -hmm. the original series. And I think that the two are very different from each other. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I was going to say, I loved how in the beginning you do for your world building a textbook, like uh, excerpt and that you can kind of read through. And it's like, it. I loved that way of world building and kind of knowing what you're getting yourself into before you get too far into it. And it's in, it's done in a very like, you know, methodical way almost. And I feel like it's like, okay, this is everything I needed to know. And now I'm heading into it and now I get it. And I thought that was so clever and I loved it. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, each book has its own, its own little excerpt, but mm -hmm. not all of them are like, there's one from Elpis and there's one from the Haven and then there's one from the kingdom. And so you kind of get like a little feel for how all of them became what they are a little bit. The rest of it is the fun of exploring why things are the way that they are now. Yeah. And I loved that. I was like, this is such a good way to like, kind of go into it. Cause you're like, okay, now I get the vibe of how everyone's feeling or like what they're looking for and how we started. And then you're not getting that, you know, 20, 30 pages in wondering like, who's this person we have to care about? Or like, what's this place we're living in and who are these people? So no, I I'm a big proponent of like world building right up front. So I loved it. So did you plot the whole series in advance or did you kind of write it as you went? And then as these questions came up, you were like, okay, I'm going to put that in a different book. And then do you plot like each individual book or kind of, how's that work for you? Do you do like an outline? So mm, I hate the word outline. It feels so inflexible. <laughs> or like a structure. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very rigid, but I do, I guess, in a sense, kind of outline. And so for the series, you know, I initially, I knew that there were going to be four books. I knew how the series started and how the series was going to end. And I knew that there were certain points that were going to have to get hit by the end of, of each book in between. But for the most part, I kind of let the stories unfold. And so the, uh, the huge event that happens at the end of the third book, I actually didn't know exactly what was going to happen at the end of that book. As the pieces started coming together for me while I was writing it, I was like, oh, this answer has been in my face this entire time. And I kind of hope that readers feel that way too, when they read it, like that they kind of discover that 
in the same way that I was discovering it as I was writing it Mm -hmm. because it was a lot of fun and that ending was very grim Mm -hmm. um the third book has I probably a special I love all of the books but I think the third one has a special place in my heart because of the way that that book ends okay I like that I like that so did you always plan to write in a multiple POV kind of setting or was that like something you you know decided along the way I did for this series Mm -hmm. and so the original series is not it's just Eugene that's all you get and except for the third book that's entirely from a different character's point of view and I'm not gonna say who because that's the fun of reading the books (laughs) but this series was originally it was just supposed to be Gavin and Paige that was it because I had the brother and the sister and each of them were going to go their own ways. So I knew that they each had to have their own point of view. It couldn't just be one. Zephyr, (laughs) I knew who he was. I knew how he was going to come into the story by the end of the first book. But as I was writing the first book, he was in the back of my head, insisting on being a point of view character. Like he wasn't supposed to be a point of view character until the second book. Okay. But he had, I think that part of it was a, a fear that people were going to hate him Mm, fair (laughs) and so giving him his own point of view kind of it helps humanize him right and and see why he's doing what he's doing and and stumbling through it because he that's the way he lives he stumbles through everything Mm -hmm. um that never ends for him by the way You gotta love him. (laughs) I do. I adore him so much. He actually became my favorite to write because Mm -hmm. he had so, I I mean, I love all of them, but there was something about writing his point of view that I never struggled with it. Okay. And it was always such a dynamic and rich point of view for me that I always had a lot of fun. Like I'd get to a Zephyr chapter and I'm like, all right, here we go. Yeah. I threw it. And then I would get to Gavin and I'm like, come on, let's go. Let's do something. (laughs) No, I don't want to. Like he would just, just stubbornly refuse. But part of that was his own mental issues. Right. Mm -hmm. So he is, he's not like everybody else, you know, brilliance comes at a price. And so he knows everything and he understands everything, but he doesn't see everything. Yeah. And so he struggles a lot with, with personal relationships because Mm -hmm. he is extremely socially handicapped I guess and so it he he's also a uh I would prefer to live in my own little bubble kind of Mm -hmm. person and don't take me out of that bubble I don't want to leave my bubble I like it it's a comfort zone and I want to stay in it and pushing him out of that comfort zone was like trying to drag a cat (laughs) when the cat has its nails dug in right when those claws are out and it is dragging on that rug and you're trying to drag the cat along like come on it's time to go nope nope don't want to do it (laughs) no I loved it in my room and leave me alone (laughs) yeah that's right I loved that his kind of motivation too was like I don't understand why nobody wants to learn more you know like they don't want to figure this out everybody's like oh having a good time like wandering and exploring and he's like no we need to figure out like what this is and that he was so like hyper focused on that and I I really liked that you kind of added that internal dialogue where he was like I don't understand how people can't want to do this 
And yeah. I feel like that showed a lot of like what his motivation was. And I really did like his character, but I could totally see how it would be difficult to kind of put him on the page, you know, and give him, you know, his screen time and, and do him justice. So I loved it. That And that continues for him throughout the course of the series that, mm-hmm. that he's naturally curious he naturally yeah you were he has perfect memory like that's one of his powers yeah and he wants to know everything mm-hmm. and he can't stand not knowing which is pointed out right away in the first book by Aaron when Aaron is like you can't stand not knowing and he's like no I can't yeah. <laughs> like is it that obvious <laughs> I, I would think it would be obvious thank but... you for sharing <laughs> And so that continues for him and it gets him into a lot of trouble because he has to have answers to certain things, but those answers are not answers that that anyone wants to share. Yeah. <laughs> and so it, it gets him into a lot of trouble and which is why he preferred holding up in his room and shutting the door. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame him. I was going to ask you if you, if there was a, a point of view that you liked the most or like one you struggled with, but you answered that for me. So oh, I love well, it. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I like that we got Zephyr too, because I feel like I, I loved being, you know, with Gavin and Paige, but it's like when you get those moments in the first one where you kind of see what's going on in the background and you're like, okay, so I know how they're going to get from point A and what point B is, but I don't know what's going to happen in between and like what's going to happen afterwards. So it kind of gives you that not reassurance, but it's like, you at least know what the thing that they're going towards is. And I think that adds another element of you, like being invested in the story really early on. So I loved it. I'm glad you did that. Thank you. (laughs) So you have a reputation as being a character assassin, not necessarily killing off all your characters, but making them go through a lot. And then, you know, maybe killing them off. How did you earn that title? And what is your favorite thing about that? (laughs) So uh, that was another title that I earned in undergrad. And You know, I had several different types of creative writing courses that I took, you know, screenwriting and short stories and everything. And in all of them, my characters were dying. And my, one of my professors, as she was, she's reading my screenplay treatment for my screenwriting class. And she's like, one of her notes, which she wrote next to the title of it was like, I guess we know what's going to happen. And because the title of it was Last Man to Die. I don't even remember the story. It was just an assignment that I did for that class. And I never fully developed it. I just kind of wrote this treatment and turned it in. So she was my professor for that class. But then she was for another class also. And in that one, I was killing off characters. Only a couple, but it was because it served a purpose to the story, right? Like it was... It was a driving point for the characters. So she's she's the one that actually started calling me the character assassin because now here I am turning in all of these stories and everybody's dying. And so I was like, well, I guess if that's my thing, that's my thing. And I just leaned into it. And I actually, my my writing group that I was a part of that I had mentioned before, when I was putting one of the books through and it was one of the Mongolian ones and they were about halfway through the book and they're like, what's going on? Are you, are you doing okay? I'm like, yeah, why? And they're like, nobody's died yet. Is somebody going to die? And I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, newsflash, it's historical fiction. They're all going to die. <laughs> but they were, they were actually disappointed because they're already they were, dead actually. <laughs> right. <laughs> they were disappointed because they were like halfway through the book and nobody had died yet. And I'm like, nobody needs to die yet. 
just hold your horses okay we're not there yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) I love it so is that do you like being called the character assassin (laughs) yeah I guess I don't mind it iconic (laughs) it's like I said I just kind of lean into it and if I write a book where somebody doesn't die people are like wait a minute Something's is everybody wrong. okay? <laughs> it's good to know that you can like invoke that kind of emotion though. I feel like that's a badge of honor of being known as like someone who can put their characters through all of that and then people still come back for more. So right. <laughs> yeah. No, I absolutely love it. I laughed so hard when I saw that. I was like, that is amazing. I'm always down for my favorite series is Red Rising. So I mean, obviously, tons of characters, main and side, and random people die in that one. So I was very excited to read yours because I'm like, okay, I'm I I like that that range of emotion when. Yeah, lots of people die in in the uh, Powers Legacy. Yeah, well, in in the Powers series, well, all of them. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's the end of the world. A lot of people got to die. I don't know. Right. <laughs> We're killing off quite a few, so I totally get it. Is there an author or authors who inspire you or that you look up to? So Robert Jordan is probably my biggest source of inspiration. That Definitely. that series, the Wheel of Time series, and his writing, he kind of opened the door for me and showed me how big a story could be, right? And so I've always been inspired by his storytelling. And I feel like that kind of reflects a little bit in my own books, but not quite to the extent of his because my books aren't like a thousand plus pages long. I appreciate that. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I don't have it in me anymore. <laughs> I don't either. I don't. So he was a big inspiration for me. I think that right now, just some of my fellow indie authors, just seeing them, like, we all know how hard it is Mm -hmm. to not just to write, but to do everything, right? We're the jack of all trades. We have to wear every hat. Yeah. There is nobody else. And so I'm always inspired by just watching how some of my other indie author friends are doing what they're doing. It's Mm -hmm. It's so cool. And it's fun to see like all of you guys be friends and like have this very tight knit community and like build each other up. I think for us as readers, it's like, it's so cool to see that you guys support each other and are like doing things together. And I don't know. I just, I love to watch that from afar. It's really fun. So do you have any advice for any aspiring authors? Um, Just do it. There's no right or wrong way to do it. But if you never finish a story, if you never finish writing it, then it's never going to be published. Right. And it doesn't matter if it's traditionally published or self-published. The readers are out there. Everybody wants more books. Mm-hmm. So there's there's no right or wrong way to do it. You just got to do it. I love that. That is really great advice. I, a lot of people say that. You just got to like get out there and start writing and everything past that is a lot of work, but you can do it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So what is your favorite part about being an author? I really like creating these worlds and connecting with these characters. Like I get yeah. so wrapped up in them that sometimes... I can't think of other things. And so while I'm in the process of writing a book, the rest of the world probably doesn't exist for me the way that it should. And my family, I adore them for being so patient with me when I get to those points where I'm very wrapped up in what I'm doing and maybe not so much in what they need me to be doing. But mm-hmm. but yeah, that's my favorite part is just just connecting with these characters and and helping them like kind of my job is not to force them to walk the line mm-hmm. but just to nudge them along and yeah. I let them do the walking themselves I love that that's really fun <laughs> 
So what's next for you on the docket? What's your next book coming out? Do you have any, you know, events coming, other interviews, all that kind of stuff? So I have a, right now I have a Kickstarter campaign running for Miller, which is, it's an origin story. Miller is a side character in both series, both of the Power series. And so he's Eugene's best friend and he's kind of the adopted uncle of, of Paige and Gavin. And I've had people ask me about his history, right? How he ended up where he was when Eugene met him. How did somebody like him end up in that place to begin with? And so I started exploring that and I wrote a book. It's not quite as long as the other ones, but I'm running a Kickstarter campaign right now for that book to to try to help get it off the ground. But besides that, I have a few short stories that I wrote for each of the princes from the Kingdom of Tides. So they each have their own little backstory, except for Zephyr, because we already have his point of view. We don't need yeah. his. So we get to see Cyprus and Dominic and Alric and how they end up bucking the system against their father, who is, he is quite a nasty person. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and Baron also. Baron oh, has okay. his own okay. his own story. Um, and I'm not going to say anything more about his story because... <laughs> It's a, it would be a huge spoiler for the Powers Legacy series. Yeah. But yeah, so I have those. But then I'm also doing world building right now for a dark fantasy. Ooh, okay. Is, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I've already got three of the main characters. I've got some other ideas on a few that might be showing up. It's going to be big. Mm-hmm. I can already tell. I'm looking at probably five to eight books. I, I don't that. know yet but it's, it's going to be a big one. I love it. I I feel like for me, I'm like, okay, I love a big, you know, like a giant series. I'm like ready to get invested in that because I feel like it's been a really long time. And then other days I'm like, okay, a nice, like four, three, four books is like perfect for me. But I feel like we haven't had a big epic series come out in a while. So I'm I'm very ready for another one. Yeah, to dive well, hopefully this those. one will find the right market then. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. I mean, it's giving Throne of Glass. Like we need another, we need another one of those. So <laughs> not a big fan, but how long is the Kickstarter going on for? And I know that I'll post all the links, but where can everyone find that information if they're not like looking at the show notes right now? So they can find it. It's right there at the top of my website, starzdavies.com. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's right at the top. So if people visit my website, they'll be able to click to it easily. Um, it's running through October 20th. Okay. And then the camp, win or lose, the campaign closes. There's two different versions of the book. The campaign is the uh, new adult version. So it's a little bit more graphic. Mm-hmm. And then and there will be a young adult version in the future because my daughter wants to read it. Okay. <laughs> and so there are definitely scenes that I've got to to close the door on yeah (laughs) we love that we love that and I don't know when I will be releasing that one yet awesome well those are kind of all the questions that I had is there anything else you wanted to share any other questions you had no I'm just I'm I'm happy to be here thanks for having me yeah I really appreciate it I'm so glad you could come on like I had such a great time reading your books and I can't wait to see what's next Yeah, neither can I. (laughs) (laughs) You and me both. We're we're all going to be surprised. (laughs) I love that so much. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate it. Okay. Bye. Bye. 
Thank you guys for tuning into this week's episode. Hope you enjoyed it. If you aren't following us, go ahead and follow us on TikTok and Instagram at the Bookish Banter Podcast. Please make sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. And thank you guys again for all of your support. Have a great day.